Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. My name is Blake Thomas, and I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection. As we continue in worship today, I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Our first passage comes from Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now, if you completely obey God's commandments that I'm giving you right now, by loving the Lord your God and by serving him with all your heart and with all your being, then he will provide rain for your land at the right time early rain and late rain, so you can stock up your grain, wine, and oil. He will also make your fields lush for your livestock, and you will eat and be satisfied. But watch yourselves. Otherwise, your heart might be led astray, so you stray away, serving other gods and worshiping them. And from 1 John chapter 2, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Everything that is in the world the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see and the arrogant pride in one's own possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world and its cravings are passing away. But the person who does the will of God remains forever. May God add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and understanding of these words. Love, we all need it. We sing songs about it, and we devote much of our lives to pursuing it. We were made for love and we live longer, healthier, and happier lives when we both receive love and readily give it away. Yet, in our world, love often seems in short supply. Perhaps this is why Jesus spent so much time modeling it for us. The truth is, love matters. It has the power to enrich our lives, transform our relationships, and change the world. Love really is the answer. On Monday night of this week, I traveled to Ohio. I was speaking for two days in Ohio, uh, all day on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I was speaking in Columbus and Cleveland, Cincinnati and Athens and Toledo and, and uh, just a whirlwind tour of speaking to pastors and lay people in United Methodist churches. Anyway, I got there late Wednesday night or late Monday night. And uh, the problem was there was weather delays. And so my flight was canceled out of Kansas City. I caught a different flight and there was a two hour delay there. And then I got to St. Louis and it was a two hour delay there. And so I finally got to my hotel the jury in in Columbus about 12.30 in the morning. I hadn't had time to eat. There was no time to eat. We were on the plane and and uh, just sitting on the tarmac. And so uh, when I got to the hotel, I was a little hungry and I had about two hours worth of work I needed to get done uh, to prepare my presentations to get the graphics ready and, and uh, prepare to share them. And so uh, I thought, I got to get something to eat. Well, I got to my hotel room and there was on the bed a gift from the Ohio, West Ohio Annual Conference. It was a sack that looked like this, is Anthony Thomas's Buckeyes, milk, chocolate, and peanut butter Buckeyes. Here's a box of them you see here. And uh, people make Buckeyes uh, on their own, but this is a company that's been making them since, I think, 1929. And, and I'd never tried one before. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. I love them. And I bit into one of these things, and it is like a Reese's peanut butter cup. So I had run down to the lobby of the hotel. I got a micro, a little microwave pizza, and I had my microwave pizza, and I had Buckeyes. And I, I ate the pizza, and then I ate one Buckeye. I was like, oh, that is really good. I chased it down with a Diet Coke. I had a second Buckeye. And I'm sitting there working on my computer and I reach for a third Buckeye and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. It's one in the morning now. How many of these things am I going to eat? 
And what I knew was if I ate a third one, I was going to eat a fourth one and a fifth one and a sixth one. And this is a pound and a half bag of Buckeyes. So I looked at the back of the bag to see, you know, what would happen if I ate the whole bag. Now, what I found was that I was going to consume 3,600 calories after one in the morning, not counting my pizza that, uh, from a bag of Buckeyes. Then I found that I was going to consume, let's see, 600% of a daily recommended intake of sugars after one in the morning, 460% of the recommended daily intake of fat. And I knew that if I kept going, if I unwrapped one more of those, I wasn't going to stop. And if I, if I kept eating these things that I love... I would never sleep that night. And then when I woke up the next morning, I was, or if I, when I got up the next morning, I was going to have a, a terrible sugar headache and I was going to be worthless all day long. I had to stop. And what I remembered was too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. By the way, I was reading about people eating candy and the kind of harm it can have. Now, candy can be fine, <clears throat> but, uh, but there was a fellow, 19, he was uh, 54 years old. 2020 was the year that he died of heart failure from eating black licorice. So I was curious about the story. And black licorice has something called glyceric acid in it. And glyceric acid in moderation is fine. <clears throat> but eating as little as two ounces a day on a regular diet can cause heart rhythm problems. And in this case, this man loved black licorice. He, he switched from red licorice to black. And when he started eating black licorice, he ate a, a bag and a half of it a day for three weeks straight. And his heart stopped. They got it going again. And ultimately it failed. And a man died from eating black licorice. All right, so sometimes something that we really love can actually be harmful for us if we don't consume it in moderation. Black licorice is fine, but if you're going to eat a, a bag and a half a day for three straight weeks, you're probably going to have some problems and you might have a serious health issue. You could even die. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about love. We've been talking about primarily agape love, and that is that kind of love that's not built around feelings. It's not emotions. It can certainly contribute towards emotions, and we can have feelings and live out agape as a result. But agape is a way of being. It's a way of living. It's practicing love, doing the loving thing, doing the kind thing. And, and so we've been talking about that. It's really, really important. But today, I'd like us to step back and to talk about the kind of love that is a feeling. It is an emotion, the kind of love in which we feel uh, a passion, we feel affection, we feel a deep desire, and that leads us to action. So this is the kind of, of love that we're going to talk about today. As we do that, I want us to think together about the things that we love. So I don't know how often you say, oh, I really love that, or I really love this, I love that movie, or I love those cookies, or I love whatever it is. But I'd, I'd love for you, if you have a pen and paper, I'd love for you, if you have a pen and paper, to just write down, who are the people that you love most? Just pick three. Who are the people you love most? And then, uh, and then what are the experiences that you love the most? The things that you experience that you love. And then what are things that you love the most? So just kind of not, not, notch them down there, write them down as I'm sharing with you some of the things that I love. So I was thinking about that and the people that I love the most, of course, uh, my wife, LaVon, who I treasure and, uh, and our kids. And I love them more than life itself. And my granddaughter, I just have a special love for her. I can't even explain. And so, you know, and then I love the rest of my family and then I love my friends. And, and then beyond that, I, I love you as a church. I love Church of the Resurrection, our people here. And, and then my aim is to love everybody, right? The scripture calls us to love our neighbor. And so I want to love everybody. Somewhere in there, I also have to love myself. Now that doesn't mean to be a narcissist or, or you know, consumed with self-love, but instead I got to feel good enough about myself. I got to remember that I am loved, which is what my, what my little button says here. I am loved. So I got to remember that I'm loved by God and that I'm okay, that I'm treasured by God. I have value and worth. 
And, and so in order to love my neighbor as I love myself, I got to love myself. So all of these are, are things that I love. And then beyond that, of course, there are other things that I love. So when I think about what I love, the things I love and the experiences, you know, I, I, love, uh, I love our two dogs. Uh, I, I love them like crazy. They're just they're very special to me. I don't love them as much as my family, but I love my little dogs and they're part of the family. I love the cat, but less than I love the dogs. I love the Kansas City Chiefs. I really do. I enjoy going to Chiefs games. You know, even uh, last week when it was minus five and the windshield was 30 below, I was out there at the Chiefs game because I really love going to the Chiefs games and I love my Kansas City Chiefs. And, uh, and, and I love chili and Kansas City barbecue and I love sunsets in Kansas. They're the most beautiful in the world, I think. And the fall leaves changing color. I mean, there's a lot of things that I love. The mountains and walking along the beach and, and, and so much more. I love a lot of things in my life. And so uh, we love. And... Yet what we find is that sometimes we can love things in an improper order. We can love things that we're not meant to love. We're only meant to like or we're only meant to use. And, uh, and sometimes we don't love the things we're supposed to love a lot as much as we should. And when we talk about that, we're talking about disordered love, disordered love. This is a phrase that comes out of uh, Augustine, St. Augustine, and we're going to talk more about St. Augustine and how he understood this idea of disordered love. But just to give you an illustration, you know, there are certain things that are meant to be foundational in terms of what we love in our lives. And, and then, uh, and then we, we have secondary loves and then tertiary loves. And so, you know, when we think about that, I think about a pyramid. And if you think about the pyramid, you have the most basic things that you love here. And scripture calls us, you know this, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. And then, and then there are other things that we love and, and experiences that we love. And when you have the pyramid built right, you've got a strong foundation upon which to build the rest of your life. But when you disorder the pyramid, when you actually love the things that aren't supposed to be loved as primary, when you love them primary, and, and the love for God comes up here, what you find is that this becomes something like that game of Jenga. You know, you try to build your life on, on a foundation that's not an adequate foundation to build your life upon. And you've played the game, Jenga, perhaps. You see in this little video a father and a son playing the game and, and you pull out the little, you know, the little uh, pieces of, of wood and, and each time you do, see the dad pulled out one and all of a sudden the foundation falls because, or the building falls because it didn't have a firm enough foundation. And that happens in our lives. Sometimes our lives begin to fall. Sometimes they crumble because we're building our lives on an inadequate foundation. Jesus talked about building your life on the solid rock or on the sand. And sometimes our foundation cannot support the rest of our lives when we're not putting God first in that foundation. So when we talk about love, we're talking about uh, loving in the right order and finding happiness or the wrong order or misdirected love and finding pain. So I was thinking about uh, uh, St. Augustine. So he lived from 354 to 430 AD. He became the Bishop of uh, Hippo. He was from Northern Africa. And, uh, and he wrote quite extensively. We have a lot of his writings uh, extant to us. And uh, maybe you read the Confessions when you were in college. It was, a, it was a part of Western literature for a long time. People would read them. But uh, Professor David Noggle, who was at one time the chair of the Department of Philosophy at Dallas Baptist University, gave a summary of Augustine's young life. So he didn't convert until he was 32. And he talks about what his life was like before he converted in his book, The Confessions. And this is what, he, uh, this is what Noggle said about Augustine. Augustine grew up in a dysfunctional family, suffered through a childhood of unhappiness, was prone to theft and dishonesty, abhorred study, 
and formal education, was virtually addicted to sex and food, enjoyed the life of the theater and cabaret, which at that time meant something different than it means today, studied offbeat philosophies and religion, for a time was a single parent. So he had, at one point, he had a lover for many, many years, and, uh, and they had a child together. And then he was a single parent. His life was unquestionably disordered. And like many of our contemporaries, he found himself on a relentless course in search of healing and happiness. This is part of what's fascinating about reading his, his confessions as he describes this, this quest up until the age of 32. And at 32, uh, he, his mother had been a Christian for a long time, praying for him. His father became a Christian just before he died. And Augustine was sitting in a garden, if I remember correctly, and, he, and there's a scripture there. So he was familiar with the scriptures and Christianity. He was, studied philosophy and he knew the Christian way and he'd read the scriptures some. And, and then there was a scripture there and he heard this voice saying to him, pick up and read. And he picked up the Bible and he began to read. And as he was reading, if I remember correctly, it's the book of Romans. And as he was reading, he found his life changed. He accepted Christ and all of a sudden the unhappiness that had been in his life and the disorder of his life began to change. There was, a, there was a new order in his life and his new order was to do what Jesus said were the two great commandments, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love his neighbor as he loved himself. Now it was Augustine who popularized the idea that sin is disordered love. Sin, you remember hamartia sin is, is a straying from the path. And when we, when we start loving as primary, something that's meant to be loved secondary or maybe not even loved at all, then we disorder the love in our lives. Love is important. We disorder the love in our lives and the foundation can't stand. So this is what Augustine wrote in his book, Christian Doctrine. He said, living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things to love things, that is to say, in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less. When our love is disordered, everything else in our life is not working the way it's meant to work. We're building our lives on a foundation that isn't meant to be built upon. We end up seeing the rest of life in the light of our primary love. And if our primary love is self, then everything else behind that is all sort of seen in the light of what's it going to do for me? Or if it's sex or if it's power or whatever it might be, everything else that's trying to be built on that foundation is seen in the light of what our primary uh, love is. So let's consider a few examples. A few examples. So a henophile, a henophile, hena is wine and a file from philia, which is a word for love, affection, love, like brotherly love. And so if you have an affection or love for wine, that's not a bad thing. Wine is a good thing. Jesus transformed water into wine. The metaphor of wine shows up throughout the Bible. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. And Jesus transformed water into really fine wine. And then he choose, chose to use wine at the Last Supper as a symbol of his blood. But the problem is when you, when you come to, to make wine or strong drink or whatever else it might be, you know, some other form of alcohol or maybe something, a drug or something else, when that becomes your quest for that, your desire for that becomes consuming in your life, then everything else struggles as a result of that. We find ourselves addicted. We find the disease of alcoholism can take over when we are disordering our life and we've made the, the quest for and the desire for and the consumption of something that's meant to be secondary or tertiary in our lives, really not even tertiary. We've made it primary. And there's problems. I have shared with you before when I was a teenage boy and my mom and stepdad married, I was, I think, 12 years old. And my stepdad was a terrific guy when he wasn't drinking, but when he was drinking, which was often, at, you know, he'd consume a six pack or two a day when he was at work and then he'd come home and he'd drink some more. And, and, uh, and when he would drink enough, he became angry. He became agitated. He was a giant of a man, huge, very strong. And sitting there at the kitchen table one night when he was, you know, in a drunken rage and he's taking the sledgehammer to the walls in our home, 
or coming home from work one night and finding the house was totally destroyed when he came home in a drunken rage, angry with my mom and, and destroying the house inside. And, you know, that's not what his heart was, but, but you see when his order, when the order of his loves was, was disordered, it ruined everything. It destroyed everything and ultimately destroyed him. He died as a result of his alcoholism later in his life. I think of a man I knew here at Church of the Resurrection who loved his job more than anything else. I mean, he, didn't, he wouldn't say that. He served in the church. He came to church. He, you know, he, he purported to love God. I think he thought he did love God more than anything else because sometimes we can't see. But in the reality of things, the, the way you could see what his real order in life was was by how he lived and his life was consumed by his job. And he was pretty high up in his company and he loved his job and he loved the power that came with it and the prestige and the corner office and the acclamations and affirmation and the money that came with it. And that became the thing that drove his life. It was the foundation of his life was his job, not God. And when his job was the foundation, then everything else was secondary to that. And so his wife and his children, they suffered as a result of this. And, and, and ultimately he came home one day and he found that all of his wife's things and the children's things were gone. And there was a note on the table and he sat there in his mini mansion reading this note saying, we can't do this anymore. If you ever decide you love us more than you love your job, let us know. And they were gone. And he never did decide that he loved them more than he loved his job. In fact, he was, I think, somewhat relieved that he could devote himself fully to his job and no longer to his family. And in the end, he lost his job and there was a whole lot of pain that came from him because, because even when you think that this is gonna be good for your job or your employment, it doesn't end up being that way. When you have a disordered life, it affects everything in your life. Now, we often speak of the big three temptations, sex, love, and uh, money, sex, and power, excuse me. Money, sex, and power. Well, money's not a bad thing. Money can be a very good thing. It's morally neutral. If we use it well, if we have the right order in our lives, then money is a tool that we use for something else. But when money becomes, the quest for money becomes, the love of money becomes uh, our primary uh, love in our lives, then everything else gets messed up. This is what the Apostle Paul says when he writes in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. He, he writes of people who are trying to get rich, how they fall into temptation. They are trapped by many stupid and harmful passions that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's what you do with your love. It's, it's ordering things in the wrong order. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some have wandered away from the faith and have impaled themselves with a lot of pain because they made money their goal. I wonder, can you think of other examples of people that you've known or people nationally, you know, maybe internationally, maybe in your own life where you had the wrong thing as the foundation and everything else suffered as a result? All right, so that's disordered love, misdirected love. Let's talk about that for a minute. So misdirected love is when we love something that we shouldn't love. Right? Or, or we love it, you know, so in some sense, disorder, we love it too much, but maybe it's not at the foundation of our lives. Maybe, although often when we misdirect our love, it, it becomes the foundation as well in our lives. So I want to I wanna just mention an example. This one was a man who told me one day, uh, you know, fell in our church and he said that he'd fallen in love with another woman. And uh, he was married and had kids and he'd fallen in love with another woman. He said, you know, I just, I feel excited when I'm around her. I feel, you know, giddy. I feel, it's just, it's like, you know, and how can, pastor, how can something that feels so right be wrong? And it's like, well, I reminded him of what Jeremiah says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I mean, the reality is that as human beings, you know, we will at times put us in the wrong set of circumstances at the wrong time when we're just lonely enough or when things aren't going well at home or, or just there's a spark that can happen. We can all feel it. I've felt it. You've felt it. We all have moments where you can have this momentary spark and a feeling towards somebody else you find yourself attracted to. And the question is, what do you do with that? 
And if you understand that that's going to be misdirected love, and you're going to put, if you really play with this and you start pursuing this, you're going to put love in the place it's not supposed to be. If that person is married or if you're married, it's not supposed to be there. But see, we play with it. And I, I've shared with you before, uh, Walter Weingren, he was a Lutheran pastor in Detroit. He wrote a book called As for Me and My House. And in that book, he talked about the moment of the maybe and how many times we have the moment of the maybe in our lives where we see something that we, we find ourselves drawn to or feel like we want to do or want to pursue that really, if we think about it, even for a moment we know is not the right path, this is going to be a path that's going to lead to pain. But, but we think, well, I'm not going to actually do it. I'm just going to play with it for a little while. And so we fantasize about it. We play with it. We mull it over in our minds. And, and the longer we mull it over in our minds, then we find ourselves you know, playing with the moment of the maybe. Every day that we do or every year that goes by that we do, we find ourselves a little closer to the yes as opposed to immediately seeing it and saying, this is misdirected and disordered love, and this is going to lead nowhere good. And this is part of why I'm preaching this sermon, is so that you have a chance, because this is all basic stuff. You know all this. But just to remind you, you know, that this is how we're meant to live. Of course, there are times you're going to be tempted. If you're not tempted, you're not alive. You're not breathing. If you don't sometimes find yourself drawn to something you shouldn't do, then either you are so pious, you're, you're pretty much outside of this world, or you're not paying attention we will find ourselves struggling. That's the story, Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. That's, that's our story. We will at times be tempted. We'll have something that the enemy, the evil one, the devil, will lure us or tempt us to do something we know we shouldn't do, to misdirect our love in ways that we shouldn't direct it. But we gotta, be, you know, we gotta have sense enough to say, okay, that's gonna cause pain. And that's what I'm wanting to remind you of today. It's gonna cause pain if we decide to yet say yes. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about this. He talks about, you know, hate and, and how, you know, it's not just that you don't kill somebody. You're not supposed to hate somebody. It's what's going on in our head and our heart first. And then when he talks about adultery, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, we begin to fantasize and play with things here. And then it's not very long until we, you know, we keep playing with it until we decide to act. And either we act and we're totally embarrassed or we act and we, we find ourselves hurt, you know, as a result of that. Or we end up taking, you know, walking down a path that's going to bring pain. And it's not just about adultery. It's about a whole host of things in our lives where we end up taking the wrong step, step in the wrong direction. I was thinking about this when it comes to politics. So here we begin a new political year. We've got, you know, a, a, another, a second of the primaries coming up in New Hampshire. And, and as we think about these things, we, uh, you know, we, I, I think anyway that, that sometimes our love can become misdirected or disordered when we look at our country and our country becomes our primary love or we devote much of our love to our country, we direct it in the wrong place. We are to be patriotic. We are to love our country. Patriotic is, comes from patri, which is father. It's, it's, you know, it's sharing you know, the common father or the fatherland. And so we, we care about our country. We care about each other. And that's a part of loving our neighbors, you know, loving the people around us. And we love the people who are in other countries too. But, but there are times where patriotism becomes something uh, broken, when we think of certain types of nationalism, that can become a kind of brokenness. When we think about when we think about uh, when we think about political parties, so yeah, I can love my political party. Now, now I'm a member of a party, and some of you are a member of a party, and I've been a part of both parties somewhere along the way, but and I've been independent too. <clears throat> so, but when we look at our party and that becomes our primary love, then that creates problems. Then how do I look at people who are in the other party? If I don't remember that I'm supposed to love my neighbor and even my enemy before I love my party, then we have misdirected and disordered love. What happens when I begin to look at my candidate, whether it's a local candidate or the president of the United States, I begin to look at the candidate and I begin to think that's my savior. He's the one, I'm gonna be behind him and anybody who's not behind him, I'm not gonna love them. I mean, you see how messed up this gets. And we see a country that's so polarized because we've forgotten 
that we're meant to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. We're meant to love our neighbor. And even if we consider somebody of the other party an enemy, and how could we consider that? But even if we did, we're to love them too. All right, I think about the seven deadly sins. And, and when you think about the seven deadly sins that were developed in the medieval church, you know, each one of them is an example of a misdirected love. They're not necessarily underneath them. There's something that's okay. But let me just remind you of them. There's lust. Now, these are in order of severity. So the least severe to the most serious, lust. That's, a, that's love not of a person, but of an act and something that doesn't have meaning. It's divorced from faithfulness and love. And then there's gluttony. That's a love or obsession with food or drink. Now, food and drink are meant to serve us and give strength to our bodies, but they're not meant to be the primary focus of our lives. Greed, that's money and possessions. They're meant to be a means, not an end in themselves. Or sloth, which is a love of convenience and ease. And you see, when you love convenience and ease more than anything else, then you're unwilling to do what's hard or difficult or, or, or requires anything of you to help somebody else. And suddenly you find it's a, it's a deadly sin. There's wrath, that's retaliation and rage, which replaces love and forgiveness and mercy. There's envy, which is a love not for other people, but for what they have. And then finally, there's pride, which is the most deadly of all the sins. That's the love of the self above all else. So we're to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. we're meant to love ourselves. But we are not meant to make ourselves the primary love, right? We love ourselves because God loves us and we have a healthy self-esteem. And without that, then we, we don't live really healthy lives. But when I love my, when pride takes over, hubris, hubris, hubris takes over, it, it means that uh, the whole world revolves around me. I make every decision based upon, is it good for me? What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? It's all about me, myself, and I right? As opposed to being concerned first for God and for other people. And then we have a very distorted worldview and a distorted life. And who wants to live with somebody who's a narcissist? We end up doing all kinds of terrible things out of our narcissism. Now, this is what uh, Augustine found early in his life, is he found that he was trying all these other things and really all the seven deadly sins. In essence, he said, I've tried them all. And none of them brought satisfaction. They brought unhappiness instead which is why Jesus warns against all these things. In one way or another, he warns against all of them. So I want to ask you, and so they leave us perpetually hungry. Again, I think of, you know, I think of Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, right? And when we get a little bit of satisfaction, we find it really doesn't satisfy. So we need a little more and a little more and a little more until again, we make a mess of things. So let me just read to you the list of the seven deadly sins again. And I'd love for you just to think, is there any one of these or are there several of them that you struggle with sometimes in misdirecting your love? Because I can tell you on this list, there are several that are part of the regular spiritual struggle in my life. So there's lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And they all distort the soul and take us away from God and what God intended for us to be. They make us their slaves. All right, so that's the human condition. And we're all subject to wrestling with this. Uh, the New Testament speaks of this as sin. Again, this is a straying from the path or a missing the mark. The Greek word is hamartia. Hamartia, to stray from the path or to miss the mark. And this is a part of what we're like. As human beings, we are all, in the words of the great old gospel song, we're all prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. There's not one of you who put in the wrong set of circumstances in a moment of weakness wouldn't find yourself struggling with lust and maybe giving into it or struggling with, you know, whatever, pride or, or love of money or, or, or gluttony. I mean, we, this is part of being human. But when we understand and we remember that disordered love never leads to happiness and misdirected love leads to pain, then it helps us to be able to say, okay, I recognize this. Uh, I think about this. I recognize I could eat this whole bag, but it's not going to go well with me the next day. I got to stop. 
right? And that's just a silly little illustration. But, but in our lives, there are so many ways in which having a clear understanding of the right love is important and the right order of love. So I think about what's the antidote to this? The antidote to this is remembering the first great commandment. So uh, Moses, he is getting ready to die. He's 120 years old. He and the Israelites are camped out on the east side of the Jordan River in what's today the country of Jordan. And on the west side is the promised land. And he's preparing them to enter into the promised land, but he knows he's about to die. So the entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last will and testament. It's his last sermon that he's gonna preach the people. And when he gets to Romans or to, uh, to Deuteronomy 6, 4, he speaks the Shema. The Shema is a Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. The Shema Israel. And, and these are words that continue to be the primary driving commandment for Jewish people. And Jesus says they are the first and greatest commandment of all. And, and so let's say it together. If you would, just read this with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. God is meant to be at the center. He is meant to be the foundation. That love for God is meant to be foundational in our lives. And let me just remind you, when you see the word Lord, all caps, the actual Hebrew word is Yahweh, sometimes mispronounced as Jehovah, but Yahweh in Hebrew. That word is God's personal name. It appears hundreds and hundreds of times in the Hebrew Bible. It's how God reveals himself to Moses and others that when Moses says, what is your name? God says, my name is I am, Yahweh. I am that I am is, is sort of the common translation to the word Yahweh. In essence, it means I am the source of all that exists. Yahweh, I am the source of all that exists. And so when we, are, when we affirm that we are to love the Lord, we are to love the I am. We're to love the source of our very lives and all that exists. We're to love God. We're to love the Yahweh with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, Jesus says. This is the foundational love. Sometimes it's just a decision that you make, a decision of the will. We choose to love God. We choose to put God as the foundation of our lives. Every morning, this is why I teach you this. Every morning, I get on my knees whether I was in Ohio at the hotel or, or in my bedroom this morning, get down on my knees and here I am, Lord. Lord, I am yours. You are the source of all that exists. You're the source of my life. And I offer myself to you once more. Help me to love you. Help me to love you with, with my mind and help me to love you with my heart and help me to love you with my strength. Help me to love you in all that I say and all that I do. And when this is foundational, it shapes every other part of your life. If you think of that pyramid, when that's on the foundation, that then leads you to love your neighbor better including your spouse and your children or your family members, or your friends, and even your enemy. And that leads you to love creation better, your animals and the things that, you know, around you. And that leads you to love the stuff, to enjoy the stuff that, you know, ultimately is a gift from God, right? And all of that's in its right order. And money and sex and power, those are all things, they're tools and they're, they're, they're experiences, but they're not the primary thing in your life. The primary thing is to love God, love the source of your life with all that you are and all that you have and everything else falls into its proper place. Now, Moses begged the people, when you get to Deuteronomy 11, the passage we heard a moment ago at the beginning of the sermon, uh, Moses, in essence, says uh, to them, obey God and love him and serve him with all your heart and with all your beings, and things will go better for you. There will be blessings from God, and the crops will come in in the right time. And all It's not that bad things wouldn't sometimes happen too, but, but it's like life is going to go better when you love God first and everything else after that. And we read in, in uh, 1 John these words that we are to not love the world or anything in it. Now, when we say the world, he's not really meaning we don't love our family and our friends and enjoy everything else. But this is what he's warning against. 
He says, the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions, that is not meant to be the center of your life. Instead, all of those things are secondary. So if you were to list the order of priorities in our lives, and if you think about that pyramid and what's at the bottom and then work your way up, what's at the bottom, what's at the base is to love God. Second, we love others. Third, we love ourselves. Fourth, we love everything else, right? And you could expand this quite a bit if you wanted to. I think about circles, so concentric circles. And the question I have is what's at the center of your life? And if we use circles as an example, um, we, would, we would turn to this image. In this image, God is at the center. God is meant to be at the center of our lives. And then there's the love of others. And then there's the love of self. And, and then there's the love of everything else. And, and this love of God shapes how we love everything else when God is at the center of our lives. I want to ask you a question. What's the foundation in your life right now? What is the primary love? What is at the center of your life? And there are times we struggle and sometimes we mean it to be God and then we allow something else to creep in as the center of our lives. And when we do, things start to go awry. And when we repent, that is to change how we're thinking, to see, hey, my gosh, I've gotten off track. And and to say, God, I really want you to be at the center of my life again. And and when we repent, we change our mind and then, then our hearts change. We say, God, truly, this is what I want at the center of my life is you. And then our lives begin to change. That's what repentance is. Repentance is to have a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. I want to ask you again, what's at the center of your life? Is there anything you need to repent for today? And maybe it's not that you've made something else the center, but maybe there's the moment of the maybe that's going on for you or ways that you've struggled in the past. Or maybe it's just today to re-up your commitment and to say once more today, oh God, be the center of my life. May I love you with all that I am and all that I have and help me to love my neighbor as I love myself. I was thinking about as I close you know, the many ways in which I've struggled with this over the course of my life. And, and one of those uh, was pretty obvious to me, and I've shared parts of this story with you before, but, you know, when we started the church and for the first 10 years, <clears throat> things were going so crazy, and we had a very limited number of staff, and, and I loved God, and I loved this church, and I still love this church, and I love the chance to be its pastor and leader, and I'm so grateful for that privilege and honor. And so, you know, I found if I could just put a little more time in, we could reach this many more people and we could do this many more things. And, and so it was, a, it was like, it was just a constant freight train and I was trying to keep up with it. And, and, uh, and the people who suffered were my wife and my children. And uh, there were times I was working 70 hours a week or more. And, you know, I'd try to be home for dinner and I'd try to spend time with them and have dates with them and do all of that. But so much of the life of my life was consumed with the church. And, and along the way, you know, LaVon would say to me, this, this had happened once every year, every couple of years. And she'd like, Adam, we didn't sign up for this. This is not how it's supposed to be. And your life is disordered. <laughs> and, and she had said to me, you know, my kids, they, they, they you know, knew Gosh, you know, we know God, we know dad loves us, but it sure seems like he loves the church a lot more than he loves us. And they just, that was just the life they knew. And I love them. I, I was sure I loved them more than I loved anything except God. But it wasn't seen in my actions. And so, you know, LaVon said to me once, she said, you know, I feel like you're having an affair. And the mistress's name is Church of the Resurrection. And this is not okay with me. Right? But she said, how do I fight with the fact that you're, you're doing this for God and you're loving God and you're working, your job is for God? And she says, it's pretty hard to figure out how to make this thing work. You know, and, and I've watched pastors who didn't make it work and ultimately their families fell apart. And I thought, I don't want that to happen to my family. And so along the way, and I will tell you, this had to happen multiple times over the years. 
is to just repent and say, God, I'm so sorry that I made a mess of this once more. And I love my wife and you entrusted her to me to care for her. And you trusted these girls to me and help me to love them well. I wanna love you before anything else. Please don't let Church of the Resurrection be the foundation. Let your love for me and my love for you be the foundation. And then remind me to love my neighbors. I love myself, starting with those you entrusted to me and then help me be a great pastor for this congregation of people. That's the disordering that happened in my life. Not the only kind, but that's certainly one of those. I just wanna ask you, is any part of your life now or has it been in the past disordered? Or have you been misdirecting your love in a way that's not healthy, that ends up bringing pain? Listen, Augustine basically said this, we can love the wrong things, which is misdirected love. We can love the right things, but in the wrong order, which is disordered love. Or we can love the right things in the right way and the right order, which leads to life and happiness and joy and peace. This is why Augustine famously wrote these words. You've heard them before. O Lord, thou hast made us for thyself and our spirits are restless or unhappy until they rest in thee. I wanna invite you today to be able to pray with me. Lord, I'm sorry for the places I've disordered my life and I'm sorry for the ways that I've misdirected my love and help me to love you first and foremost and to love my neighbors, I love myself. Be at the center of my life I wonder if you'd pray that with me right now. Would you bow your heads in prayer? And just whisper this prayer under your breath. God, thank you for everything. And you know, oh Lord, the places I have disordered love in my life and the times that I have misdirected love to things I shouldn't love. Help me, oh God, to love you with all my heart soul, mind, and strength. To love my neighbor as I love myself, starting with those you've entrusted to my care. Forgive my sins and help me to honor you. Be at the center of my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.